In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Hello and welcome to the Perspectrum. I'm Michael Bloom. Uh, So this will be an unconventional episode. Nathan is taking uh, this week off from the podcast. I know that we said that we would probably discuss Supreme Court topics this week. Uh, They will keep until next week. Yeah, it's Nathan's birthday this week. His family's in town. It's important for him to prioritize that stuff. And this gives me an opportunity to do something that I, you know, indulge in periodically. when Nathan is not on the pod to kind of take an episode in an unconventional direction a little bit all by myself. Um, I've done this in the past with uh, a short episode about like all the good stuff that had happened in 2019. I recorded that right around Christmas in December. Um, it was an awkward three months before all the bad stuff started happening uh, or didn't start, but got way worse, I guess, um, with the pandemic. But this week, I was having a lot of thoughts about patriotism and what that means and whether it's any good and what it should mean and things like that um, surrounding the July 4th holiday. So I figured that I would put some of those thoughts down on paper and then kind of share them with you guys. You know, just these are my kind of personal thoughts, my personal notes about like whether patriotism really continues to make sense. So I think like this year, as I was like, you know, scrolling through social media, um, things felt weirdly the same as they have in previous years. Um, I think a, a lot has changed, but then a lot has stayed the same. And one of the things that felt like it really stayed the same was the kinds of perspectives that, you know, I was seeing uh, in general, and the kinds of perspectives that I continue to hear about from people. Like, on the one hand, you have kind of the America sucks perspective, which, to be honest, I'm more sympathetic to than its opposite, which is the America is perfect perspective. And I think they both get like really rolled out and put on display and then hurl, you know, arguments at each other uh, around. July 4th and Independence Day. And we talk a lot on this show about kind of like the third way, (laughs) perhaps, of patriotism, which is like what it means to love your country means challenging it to do better. And I think that is a, ultimately, like, I think that's the right perspective to have, is that like, it's pretty clear that the America's perfect attitude is not possible to hold and still be informed and aware, generally speaking, of reality. Like, we're just not anywhere close to anything even resembling perfection. Even if any country could be, we're further from it than many. So there's just no real sense in which you could possibly square the idea that America is perfect. I, so I think it does make sense that if you 
think if you feel patriotic, the only way you can do that, the only way you can experience patriotism, the love of one's country, is to recognize the potential in that country and push for it to be better. But at the same time, I was thinking about that perspective, and it just feels this year like it's more difficult to keep saying that when things keep feeling like they're getting worse, like really getting worse, like slipping backwards faster and faster. So it's like, if we've got those kind of three perspectives, like what good is patriotism? What does it even mean? What does it matter? Like, why would we care about it? So like on the America's perfect side, that feels pretty preposterous. Like, <laughs> like we invest a ton of money and time and energy every 4th of July doing a huge celebration that many people interpret as being a celebration of how many good things like America has achieved. And I think you can make an argument that we, that as a nation, we've achieved good things, but as none of those good things really survive scrutiny intact, all of them have their, their dark sides. And maybe that's just what it means to be a nation. Nations are complex. They're full of people with different motives. And ultimately the bet that everyone is making with the idea of a nation state is that the mean of all of those, the average of all of those conflicting perspectives comes out to be something that gets us better off than we would be otherwise. But like this idea that like, <laughs> that we just look at the fireworks and like are well up with pride at at the perfect country that we live in or the or the great nation that we have just feels like you know <clears throat> to many and to me more and more as i become you know largely like more aware of my own privilege and and of uh, and learn more about the nation itself largely becomes just just comical and in a defeated kind of way even the celebrations themselves so so Every year, you probably know that the National Mall does a big celebration in D.C. Um, annually, typically, between 2016 and 2018, they spent approximately six to seven million dollars annually on that particular show, right? Six to seven million dollars to shoot off fireworks above the National Mall in our nation's capital. In 2019, they spent 13 million dollars on that. Uh, show of celebration for this nation. $13 million is enough to pay for a day's meals for the entire homeless population of the U.S. And they spent it in fireworks. They blew it up. <laughs> um, just to celebrate on the National Mall and do this huge demonstration of national pride. And, and that's pretty ironic to me. Like, total consumer spending for July 4th in 2023, this year, was expected to be $9.5 billion, which is enough to fund all SNAP benefits for three months. And yet we're going to spend it on hot dogs and buying new American flags and buntings and travel and like all of these things that are, that 
you know, many view as being in service to how good things are here, how, how great and wealthy and powerful and free we are as a nation. <laughs> With the wealth concentrated at like the smallest sliver of our population, leaving everyone else behind. So like, what are we celebrating then? Like, <laughs> what, what, what have we done so well? So sometimes people point to how prosperous the United States in, is as a country. And yet, more and more, that prosperity is being captured by the wealthiest few individuals and leaving the broad swath of the American population behind. Which means that it's not prosperity, necessarily. It's just wealth concentration. Or they'll talk about how, how much pride we should have in our military and our veterans. And, and, we, should, and we should celebrate the commitments and dedication that our veterans as individuals have made to the country. Although there's lots of reasons to, to think about like how we select people to put in to, to enlist in our military, but we should it makes sense to appreciate and thank those people. And at the same time, recognizing that our military power is at best a the world's military crutch where we throw billions and billions of dollars that could be put in other places into our armed forces to police the world. At worst, it's a colonialist imperial force which is spread throughout the, the globe to spread America's economic and political interests. No different from like the mercenary group in many ways that we discussed on last week's pod, spreading Russia's influence throughout the world. And, and some people think that July 4th and Independence Day is a great celebration of how free we are in America. If, if that's true, <laughs> their conception of freedom is largely uh, nominal. The conception of freedom is just freedom from like a tyrannical government with taxation without representation. Like, because look at like every measure of freedom leaves folks behind. Look at like even, even just the pure freedom to like be free of government control, right? We've got the largest prison population in the world, not per capita in the world. Our prisons are full of nonviolent offenders. Our systems of uh, cash bail mean that even people that have not been convicted of a crime have their lives torn apart if they are unlucky enough to be of a lower economic status. We have literal slave labor in private prisons run by companies whose entire incentive is to increase the size of their prison population via longer sentences and more harsh punishments. And yet, people think that we're free from government interference. And then if you expand your definition of freedom a little bit, beyond like being free from government interference to being a definition that includes like freedom to self-actualize, then we are far, 
far from free because of the influence and the concentrated power of large companies or even just like capitalist structures as a whole. It's hard to point to any one particular company aside from maybe a top, you know, couple and say these people have particular individual outsized influence over the, the, the realms of government or over enough employees that they can control things. But like the structures that many companies operate within mean that our economic freedom is significantly curtailed. The fact that in combination our government and our and our capitalist companies have you know conspired to limit wage growth despite growths in profitability despite increase in the cost of living mean that our ability to spend time away from work to spend time with our families to invest in our futures is decimated in a country where we've got tremendous wealth but a single you know emergency set of new tires on your car a car that you may only have so that you can get to your job in the first place puts you into a spiral of debt that from which you may never recover debt that that <laughs> you know will literally your next generation might help contribute to paying off from a small inconvenience it's laughable to say that we exist in a state of significant economic freedom and a counter to that as people defend fiercely their their patriotism their love for the current country that we currently have is that the very fact that i can make these criticisms demonstrates that we're the greatest country on earth the very fact that we can all stand up and criticize the government uh, is itself a piece of evidence or proof that we've achieved our goals. Despite the fact that we can all recall vividly when peaceful protests were broken up violently by police who arrested protesters who had no path to being released and totally violated even our most uh, clear-cut examples of, of free speech and free assembly. Despite the fact that uh, a single right-wing power-hungry dude in the form of Elon Musk who fancies himself a fucking god can take out loans to spend $44 billion to buy the most powerful engine of you know, free speech and interaction that currently exists in the country and then police its content nationally and internationally to benefit his interests means that like that that concentration of power means that our free speech is just not as free as people believe and i know people are going to be like oh private companies all that stuff and like we can have that argument we can have that discussion but the fact is that like all of the communication done in like the public square of social media is controlled via the operation of small groups of people with outsized influence. And what's so frustrating about the free speech claim, like, hey, the fact that you can criticize America means we've achieved our goals, 
is that free speech is cold comfort in a world where people are having their votes suppressed, right? We've got, we've got right-wing legislatures and attorneys general and governors working right now and have been working for decades to limit our ability to vote, to limit our ability to protest, to limit all of these freedoms that people pretend are perfectly guarded and pretend are their ideals, and on July 4th, stand up for and fight for vividly until July 5th and the rest of the year when they don't want to hear it. And so, like, when your vote is suppressed, it's, it's laughable to say that we're free and we have our free speech, we have representation, we have democracy. And on top of that, the idea that you're going to walk up to someone and say, how dare you criticize this country your, your criticism is evidence that it's the greatest country on earth when they you know they're having their like homes repossessed or they can't get a mortgage or they can't afford to have a home at all or they're being jailed at disproportionate rates for uh, nonviolent and often victimless crimes that is cold comfort when you can't get health care when you can't get sick leave when again like that you hit a like you know a nail in the road and you literally cannot come up with the cash or the loans to cover it and even if we have the even if we did have the freest speech and assembly and voting on earth congratulations america you beat out the worst authoritarian dictatorships and pretty much nobody else so their response to all this when you make all these claims is, well, if you don't like it, maybe you should get out. And I think that kind of leads to the other side of the argument, which is like America, the horrible. And I'm honestly like more and more inclined to believe that side. Like even for the best, the most well-off <laughs> in our society, right? Maybe not the most well-off. For the most well-off demographic group, like white dudes, things are getting worse all the time, right? And I have no sympathy for white dudes. I'm not really going to spend much time there. But the fact is that like the crap that affects everyone affects everyone. And it affects many groups worse than others, right? But no one is escaping the weaknesses and the flaws of the United States unscathed, except the top wealthiest group. They're escaping unscathed. The whole system's meant for them. But for the worst off, <laughs> they have it you know, worse than everybody else, right? We've got, again, disproportionate uh, imprisonment, some of the highest levels of poverty. In decades, we've got rising costs of living, and stagnant wages. Uh, we've got people that can't get health care or treatment. We've got women who are having their bodies policed actively, being prevented from making their own health care and reproductive decisions. You know, just last week, the Supreme Court significantly eroded so many uh, protections and rights that we thought were secure. And so I'm very inclined to believe 
that not only is America not the greatest country on earth, it, it, there's a lot of evidence to point to the idea that it might be one of the worst in, uh, in many ways. In many ways. It might be of like, of like, you know, the G7, the G8, some of our wealthiest nations that are most advanced technologically and economically, it might be one of the worst. And yet, I still get really itchy when people say that they hate the country. And again, I get why. Although I admit, I, I, I understand why people say that they hate the country um, in a disappointed way. Because the America that I thought that I grew up in and I grew up believing in is a total fiction. And I don't, and I truly can't understand it, understand how deeply America has failed as someone who uh, grew up in the worst off positions in our society, who grew up whose brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents uh, only knew America as a persecutor of them and their loved ones and their families. I can't, I can't understand deeply that experience. I can only understand it in a somehow you know, intellectual way. And so when I say that I can't, you know, have a hard time and I get uncomfortable when people say they hate America, it's because like <laughs> I grew up feeling like we were close and not recognizing that for so many people, America was only the boot on their neck. So if you hate it, if you hate America and you want to call it a lost cause, I think that you should feel like you can do that, right? No one should be forced to fight to save something that's done so little for them, especially relative to other countries. No one should be forced to fight because they felt they got unlucky enough to live in a country that treats them and people like them like shit. And at the same time, I'm definitely biased, right? I'm biased towards the U.S. You know, I, I love the physical country itself. I've been to so many parts of it, and I find it gorgeous and amazing. Uh, I love many of the people here so much. Uh, not only people that I know personally, but so many people that I've found inspiring. And despite the country's constant, continuous, uninterrupted failure to live up to its ideals, I think that, largely speaking, they're the right ideals. And I love them. And I think they're, they're, it's a good way to shape a nation. And so ultimately, as I was thinking about patriotism, I think I landed on the idea that to experience patriotism has to be to experience hope or at least, I guess, desperation. <laughs> um, the hope that ultimately there's better stuff out there and that it's possible and that it's worth it. And that ultimately, like, the right and the good and the just and the equal and the fair might be out there, even though we have not gotten it right. And even though, frankly, no country has gotten it right. And I think patriotism includes owning the horror of our history and being willing to stand up and in some small way, the, all the ways that are possible to try to make it right. And I think it's also about learning from those lessons and trying to deliver on them so that the endless suffering and the countless lives that have been paid to teach us the horrors of the past 
aren't totally wasted. Ultimately, that's the least we can do is learn from all of that horror that was literally caused and perpetrated by, you know, the, the worst of us. That was literally caused and perpetrated in a country that thought it was doing the right thing, which is fucking crazy. And should make all of us question whether what we're doing is right. Because it's, again, it's easy to like villainize the people that have gotten it so wrong, but many of them thought that they were doing the right thing. And so the, it is hard work, but it's important work to question and think about what we are trying to do. And so I think the July 4th that we invest in is a waste and a fiction. It's a celebration of something that doesn't exist. But I think in some ways it's worth a time of reflection it's worth trying to feel like we have something that we might be able to hope for. I heard an interview with a former uh, British member of parliament named Tony Benn. And he said, there are two ways in which people are controlled. First of all, frighten people. The second is to demoralize them. Ultimately, giving up, saying, fuck it, I'm out, and being demoralized is exactly the goal of the people that are trying to accomplish the things that will hurt everyone that we're fighting to protect. So that was a long-winded way to say Happy Independence Day. Thank you for sticking it out with me. I know it's not as exciting as probably our normal version of this show, but I appreciate you sticking around with my indulgence. And now thank you to everybody who makes this show possible. Thank you to Nathan, and happy birthday. Uh, thank you to Jerry DeViller, Kyle Chaska, Fade Out Scoop, Taylor Bloom, and Tobias Janssen for being our patrons. If you want to be a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash theperspectrum throw us a couple of bucks and you'll get some free stuff. If you want to watch videos of this show, you can find us on YouTube. Just search The Perspectrum. And thank you to Kayla, our editor, for all they do to make this show possible. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to The Perspectrum. And you'll hear from us again 